torn apart, we would stand on and shore. And yes, with hearts no longer torn apart, we would stand on and shore. Hand in hand on On Aaron Shore, that's Joe Jenks. That opens up his brand new CD, The Coming of the Years. And Joe Jenks, congratulations on your new album. Thank you, Michael. Uh, I'm really, really pleased with this album, and it's been a long time in coming. A long time in coming because of COVID? Well, no, really, I think more because of cultural identity, although COVID had a bit to do with it. This album might have come out sometime in 2020 instead, but... I'm a dual U.S. Irish citizen, and that's always been a part of my personal life, though not as much a part of my professional life. And uh, since 2007, I've been taking nearly annual trips to Ireland, and I, I let that sort of sink in as I try and make being an Irish citizen something that's more than just an artifact of family history. And uh, it inspired a whole series of songs, and the ones that felt like they had some cohesive connection to each other uh, are the ones that ended up on this album. Uh, interestingly enough, the first was the, the one you just played on Aaron Shore. Um, and it starts out, I have come here as a stranger. Uh, and, and I think it's really true. I mean, I, I grew up thinking of myself as Irish and then I finally made it to Ireland and realized it doesn't matter what a passport says. I'm definitely an American, you know, that's just kind of how it is. But uh, I was lucky enough to live in Seattle uh, for just under 10 years, and there's a huge Irish expat community in Seattle. And they really helped me disambiguate what the distinction was between being Irish and what a lot of Americans thought was Irish. Uh, and so that was, you know, in some ways the journey began in the mid-90s when I was in my early 20s and living in Seattle. But uh, to stitch all of that together with, with a number of other songs, both traditional Irish pieces and a few contemporary pieces written by colleagues and friends was was just a joy. That's what your new album is about, your your Irish uh, roots. Were you born with a dual citizenship? Uh, yes, by Irish law, I was born an Irish citizen. Well, who was Tom Piggott? Tom Piggott was a lovely, lovely man from Limerick that I met at a Folk Alliance conference in 2007, in February 2007, and somebody mentioned that I was an Irish citizen, and we started talking, and, and he was asking me about my favorite places, and I said, well, actually, I've never been, and he was just, he was uh, personally offended, you know, like, my God, how can you have an Irish passport and not have set foot on Irish soil, and that's, that's what he said to me. He said, Joseph, you'll set foot on Irish soil before the year is through. I swear it's on my life. And, you know, sure enough, by, by, you know, that October, I was on tour in Ireland. He'd lined up some dates for me, and I ended up bringing a small group of fans with me. And we had a grand time. And uh, he just opened up a lot of doors for me in terms of building friendships and connections and relationships that, that gave me the opportunity to really explore in a modern context what Ireland is, is a contemporary, absolutely engaged global nation, you know, not not the Ireland that my granddad left in 1914, but the Ireland that exists now. Tom, you were there was back in 2007. Indeed. So what was your first impressions? I was quite taken 
uh, I mean, I think I took 4,000 pictures on my first trip to Ireland. Um, you know, I was, I was quite taken with how many things were as my granddad had described them and passed them on through oral tradition uh, and how many things were different. You know, when I, when I went to Dublin to just to be in a city that old and to be in a city that was not only that old, but that cosmopolitan and that modern and that connected to global society at the same time was just fascinating. The Dominicans built the first church and school in my granddad's hometown in 1280 in a Thai Ireland, you know, and you look at what was, what was going on in this continent in 1280, and it was very, very different, you know, and so the notion, I lived this very peripatetic, meandering life as a wandering bard and touring folk singer, and to recognize that there's a vein of my family that had been likely in one place in Ireland for, documented for almost 400 years. And if they were there for 400, they might have been there for 400 before that. You know, like, it's just kind of fascinating. Were, were you able to find your family in, in Ireland? Yes, I have several cousins still living in Ireland. My direct line, the Kilbride line, um, had died, uh, and I found some markers and uh, you know, but it's, there, there are cousins there for sure. And most of them are Murphy's. Uh, and I was trying to explain all this genealogical research I had done, uh, with my cousin, Donal Murphy, uh, D-O-N-A-L, Donal. He's, he was very particular about not being called Donald. And he said, Donald is a Scottish name. Donal is an Irish name. And he was very precise about that. But uh, I was trying to explain to him, you know, all the intricacies of genealogy. And he said, Joseph, nobody cares. Just go down to the pub and tell him you're a Murphy cousin from America and they'll set you up with a pint. You know, (laughs) that's a riot. So so it's us Americans are obsessed with genealogy. Well, it's interesting. You know, I mean, the population of the Republic now is roughly five and a half million and another like 1.3, maybe 1.5, you know, in Northern Ireland. Uh, But the Republic is is not that much larger than just the city of Chicago, you know, to say nothing of the 9 million that are in the Chicago metropolitan area. The, the, The Republic of Ireland could fit inside Lake Michigan. You know, like, it's just, it's kind of hard for us to wrap our head around this because it is so old. There is so much history, some of it just old and some of it truly ancient. I mean, you know, six, 7,000 year old stone, standing stone circles that were ritual and ceremonial sites in various parts of Ireland. And you connect with a place that old, you just realize that, that size isn't measured just in square miles. It's measured in, in the narrative per square mile. You know, and so a place like Ireland measured by narrative per square mile is the size of Australia, you know? <laughs> Joe Jenks is on the line, and his new album is dedicated to Ireland, and it's called The Coming of the Years. Let's listen to the ki- title cut. Why did you choose this as your title cut from your new album? Something in my heart was captured when I first went to the mountains in County Kerry. And even though my granddad was from a tie in County Kildare, uh, and it too is a beautiful place, There was something about the mountains of County Kerry that just captured my heart. And there's something a little bit wild uh, about the the western parts of Ireland. And uh, there was a certain joyousness. But also during the pandemic, this notion, the the chorus on this says, I don't know when I will see you again in the coming of the years. And I I would say that sometimes as a mantra. And I've got a painting in my studio that was done by an Irish artist 
Um, and I'd walk into my studio when I was doing another broadcast, another, you know, Zoom thing, another YouTube thing, another whatever for the, for those first two years of the pandemic. And I'd look at that painting and I would just take a deep breath and say, I don't know when, but I'll see you again. And so this song that I had written a few years earlier became part of what got me through the pandemic. And, and I, I suppose in honor of that and sort of the joyous nature of the song itself, it seemed like a good, a good song to encompass this body of material. Here's Joel Jenks, The Coming of the Years. When I first came here to wander these mountains, my heart was tattered and torn. Ever the rover and all the world over, no land ever felt like a home. Here in the crags and the bogs and the valleys I've found some measure of ease Where the song of the wind is as sweet to behold As the beautiful rose of Tralee And it's high up and over the mountains of Kelly That I love so dear I don't know when I will see you I can count my friends by the score And I have shared meals and moments of kindness God willing, I'll know many more But when the burden I've chosen to shoulder Is more than I can stand I find that my thoughts wander back up To carry that rugged It's high up and over the mountains of Cary that I love so dear. I don't know when I will see you again in the coming of the years. Traveled all of my journeys and sung all of my songs. When I have given the best that I have and righted most of my wrongs, then take me back to the place that I love. Let me gaze out over the sea. Take me back to the mountains of and let my spirit run free And it's high up and over the mountains of Kerry That I love so dear I don't know when I will see you again In the coming of the years And it's high up and over the mountains of Kerry I love so dear 
I don't know when I will see you again in the coming of the years. I don't know when I will see you again in the coming of the years. I don't know when, but I'll see you again in the coming Joe Jenks, The Coming of the Year is title cut from his new album. Joe Jenks is on the line. Uh, I'm going to talk more about the album in a moment, but I want to ask you a question about your history. You said you spent a lot of time in Seattle. You went to school there, right? Yes and no. Complicated question. But uh, I, I did a, a Bachelor of Music at a conservatory in Illinois. I got a degree in vocal music performance. Uh, and then I moved out to Seattle and I started to discover what a degree in singing was worth in the open job market, which was maybe a little less than I had hoped. Uh, <laughs> mostly people wanted to know how much I could lift or how fast I could type. What did you expect to do with your degree in uh, music conservatory? Um, well, I, I guess I just thought that having a bachelor's degree itself, regardless of what it was in, would be worth more in the job market, like just being college educated would be enough to open some doors for me, regardless of what the degree was in. But again, uh, most of the jobs that were available at the time were uh, around working in warehouses or factories or, or working in offices. Um, and my typing skills are really, really brilliant for a guy that uses three fingers. Um, you know, so uh, I really couldn't type very fast. Um, and I got a job driving a forklift in a warehouse and eventually got a commercial driver's license and then i was like okay well this isn't really what i wanted to do so i went to graduate school in bellingham washington which is about an hour north and studied choral conducting uh and was maybe thinking i might you know become a high school choir teacher and then i just woke up one day and went you know you have a clear understanding of what it is you're supposed to be doing in the world and you're afraid of taking the leap you can always go to grad school. That's what grad school is for. You go to grad school after you have already failed at whatever it was that you were gonna do, or because it's an integral part of what you want to do. But in my case, I was hiding behind grad school as a shield and not really chasing my dreams. And so I, I got one last job uh, that, that paid well enough that I could produce my first national release and I hit the road full time. And that was uh, 23 years ago, and I haven't looked back. You know, I've just been doing music full time ever since. So, in some ways, uh, yeah, I, I'm glad I I'm glad I did that little bit of like you know dive deep uh, in grad school, and just enough to remind myself of why it was that I had been chasing music my whole life already. Uh, and then I hit the road. You were in Seattle and Washington when this happened. I I thought Seattle was more of a grunge state than a folk music state. Oh, there's a huge folk music scene out in Washington and in British Columbia and Oregon, parts of Northern California. Um, it was a really brilliant place for me to launch my career, uh, in part because there were so many unbelievably gifted musicians and songwriters and filmmakers and storytellers and artists of all kinds that came to Puget Sound, that came to that region and the country and just decided, you know what? I'm going to make a living here because it's beautiful here and this is where I want to be. And as a result of that, there is an incredibly vibrant arts scene there across the board. And I met some extraordinary mentors um, 
in, in that community. And they're the people that helped me figure out how to do this full time. You know, they're the people that we, we had a group called the uh, Seattle Performing Songwriters Collective. And there were 18 of us independent singer-songwriters who were chasing it in, in one form or another. And that collegial community, we'd, we'd, we'd have sometimes weekly meetings as we were all working on different projects or forums and um, uh, just really workshop ideas with each other and brush up each other's press kits and work on songwriting and work on business things and, you know, tools of the trade and tricks of the road. And um, yeah, it was, I mean, it was really that peer group that helped me understand how to do what I wanted to do. And it was such a blessing, such a gift. I'm, I'm trying to put in my head how that direction of folk music went, you, you, and how you became a songwriter and went the folk music direction. I mean, there were so many other different avenues of music you could have followed. Uh, there are indeed, although I think because of the Irish heritage, I grew up singing a lot of traditional Irish music or songs that we thought were traditional. Um, uh, and music was understood to be a birthright. This is part of Irish culture. You know, it's, it's hard for Irish artists to make a living sometimes in Ireland because there are so many people who enjoy music and play music and share music, uh, as just part of a common communal practice. Um, but uh, I think that was very much woven into the fabric of my upbringing. And then I started to branch out when I was eight years old, my sister Jean got me a copy of, uh, Pete Seeger and Arlo Guthrie live in concert, a double disc album that was released in the late 70s. And, you know, all of a sudden there was this whole new world that was open to me in folk music. And from there I kept exploring. And by the time I, by the time I got out of high school, it was pretty clear that I wanted to be a touring folk singer. Um, and by the time I was done with college, I knew exactly where I was going. I had checked out a bunch of different cities across the U.S. and a couple in Canada. Canada and decided that Seattle was the place to go because the the folk music and singer songwriter scene in lots of genres was just so rich there but it wasn't so cutthroat that it was like you know just a music industry town you know and my logic was very similar to many other people like even if I fall flat on my face I get to live in a beautiful place and because I live in a beautiful place it's possible I will be more inspired to create interesting art uh, but I also connected deeply with some progressive political communities out there. And of course, a lot of folk music intersects with progressive politics and vice versa. So there, there very much was synergy there. And of course, a lot of Irish folk songs connect with politics. Uh, and my dad's side of the family are mostly uh, Swedish and Quebecois from, from Canada, French Canadians. And there's a huge folk music tradition there. I remember sitting on my Uncle Louis's porch when I was a kid and he'd strap on his, his good shoes and tap his feet and play the fiddle and, and you know, do the thing that the Quebecois fiddlers do. And so I, I kind of got it from all sides. I think it was sort of inevitable that I would find some sense of home in the folk music world. You did take an unusual route there going to Go, go to the conservatory for your vocal training. Do you do you cringe when you hear people sing incorrectly? Uh, no, I, I think I've really come to understand um, the difference between a technically brilliant singer and a gifted vocalist. You know, you look at Leonard Cohen at the end of his life and he had a very narrow range. Look at Pete Seeger, look at Tom Waits. Uh, I don't know that anybody would say, wow, what an amazing singer. But you listen to them in their capacity, partic I mean, particularly late in their lives. You look at any of these men younger in their lives and they had different voices, but they were still able to carry such emotional weight in the way that they delivered music, in the way that they sang songs, that there was power there. And I think all of us who, who make a career out of singing 
um, have our own bad habits and our own, you know, failings as vocalists. But the thing is, do we transcend that in a way that's meaningful to our audiences? And so, yeah, maybe when I first got out of school, I was very concerned with technical perfection. But at some point, I just recognized that the power of a good vocalist is in their ability to convey the meaning of the song. And what really taught me that was jazz. And that was one of the great things that I got exposed to at conservatory that I never would have found. Um, I never would have found that on my own. And interestingly enough, that does now influence how I write about Ireland. I use chord structures in the songs that I'm writing as a contemporary Irish writer about Ireland or about my experiences in Ireland that are a bit genre bending. Uh, and this album features an electric bazooki. Uh, the acoustic bazooki has been a part of trad Irish music for a long time, but an electric bazooki harkens a little bit to groups like Fairport Convention or Steel Eye Span, some of the first groups to electrify the traditions in that way. And so this album kind of is an homage to a lot of different reference points, but there's a very uh, much loved Irish folk song called John of Dreams, but it was written in the 1950s. It's not really traditional. Uh, and it was set to the melody, uh, a motif that's in Tchaikovsky's Sixth Symphony, the Pathétique. And so when we study classical literature, when we study symphonies and concertos, um, we begin to understand that the heart of beautiful music is melody uh, in the various ways that it comes into being. And that there's really no difference between melody as expressed in a symphony or melody as expressed in a folk or a jazz song, except the instrumentation around it. The core emotion that's captured in that melody is there, which is why Dvorak could take a bunch of folk songs and folk dances and turn them into symphonies, and why an Irish songwriter took a piece of a Tchaikovsky symphony and turned it into a song. Um, they're, they're, you know, Music is a language unto itself, and I think the industry divides it into genres, but most musicians I know just love good music. Joe Jenks' new album is called The Coming of the Years. Let's listen to a new song. It, well, it's about an old subject. What, what's behind you writing The, the Moon Rise Over Skibbereen? When the Moon Rises Over Skibbereen is a song that I wrote uh, in 2019. Um, I had visited the Skibbereen Heritage Center many times, and it's got one of the most well-researched and well-curated exhibits in Ireland about the Great Hunger on Gorthamor, which a lot of history books refer to as the Great Famine. Uh, but I remember my mother saying when I was a kid, a famine implies that there's no food. Um, uh, and a blight is, is a natural occurrence. These things happen in the natural world, pestilence, etc. Um, but starvation is a condition that is born of politics. Starvation is a situation where there, there's food, but there's no political will to get it from the people who have it to the people who need it. And I remember her saying that to me when I was a kid, but I, you know, what does a kid do with that? It's kind of a, it's kind of a big and slightly abstract notion. But uh, over a decade and a half visiting um, Skibbereen, uh, which was one of the harder hit regions that that part of County Cork during, during Ungortamor, during the Great Hunger, um, you know, I really absorbed enough story that on this particular day, after having visited the Abbey Strory graves, where there's two different mass graves, one with 10,000 people in it, one with uh, give or take 4,000. Uh, and this is just one little subset of 1.3 million people that died in Ireland uh, as a result of starvation. Um, you know, it just, it just settled in for me in a different way. And that night I was coming back into 
Skibbereen from having led a, a music session in a neighboring town. And this huge full strawberry moon was just rising over the hills to the east of Skibbereen. And it just captured me. And this melody and, and that thought just like, you know, you could say, well, like I wrote that song in 45 minutes, which is in a way true, but I also wrote that song over 15 years or over a lifetime. You know, it was a lifetime plus 45 minutes. Uh, but that melody was just inspired by everything that was, was in me emotionally that day after really having come to wrap my head around the immensity of the great hunger and of the loss that it represented, of the fact that there were ships coming to Ireland with aid for the Irish and for everyone that showed up. There were six ships leaving Ireland bound for parts of the Commonwealth with food that had been grown in Ireland, but specifically for export. Um, you know, and a lack of communication across the board about, you know, what was needed and by whom and the people that knew weren't talking. And, you know, it's, it's, there are many in Ireland that, that, you know, look upon this, um, through the lens of genocide. And, uh, I think, I think that's a reasonable perspective from their standpoint. I, I think sadly the 20th century gave us different examples of what genocide could mean. Uh, but in this case, um, yeah, I really think uh, it, it's a fair assessment. Here's Joe Jenks with When the Moon Rises Over Skibbereen. By the banks of the island the Abbey's story graves Ten thousand nameless lay Their faces forgotten Their stories remain To speak of unbearable pain Their voices rise up As the wind breaks the silence The trees all bear witness to shame Light comes from nature, starvation from politics Through history it's always the same When the moon rises over Skibbereen The most melancholy moon I have seen Do you think she remembers the sorrow she when the moon rises over Skibbereen Eighteen and forty-five potatoes first failed But the people knew hard times before So they pawned their belongings for food to survive by late 1846, they were barely alive. Too weak from the fever and hunger and thirst to properly bury their dead. They were left by the roadside, dropped in the dirt, with hardly a prayer even said. When the moon rises over Skibbereen The most melancholy moon I have seen 
wonder he thinks she remembers the sorrows she sees when the moon rises over Skibbery. And who takes the blame for a failure so grand? There's plenty of guilt to go round. By time it was known how bad it would get Thousands were laid in the ground In the ground Some say the workhouse And others the crown Some say the landlord's to blame But by the next world or the new world Three million were gone and the country was forever changed Now the land and her people are thriving today But there's a weight on the hills and the glens And it's left to the living to remember the famine And swear to it never again When the moon rises over Skibbery, the most melancholy moon I have seen, do you think she remembers the sorrows she sees when the moon rises over Skibbery? Do you think she remembers the sorrows she when the moon rises over Skibbering When the moon rises over Skibbering When the moon rises over Skibbering, that is Joe Jenks, another song from his new album, The Coming of the Years. And it's an album that lays tribute to your Irish history, and it's your latest album. And you've been going to Ireland on a yearly basis now. Almost, almost annual. Obviously, I missed a couple of years during the pandemic, and I missed a couple of years uh, um, interspersed in between that. But yeah, it's just, I, I really want being a dual citizen to be something more to me than just an artifact. And uh, the people of Ireland are have a wicked sense of humor and can be incredibly sardonic. And you know that you've really made friends with somebody when they start making sarcastic and snippy comments to you. But on the surface, and I think also running very deeply into the Irish core, uh, is a certain sense of civility. I mean, civil discourse and public engagement in Ireland is so gracious. You know, you walk into the post office or a shoe store or the local grocery store, little bodega, or, you know, like wherever it is that you are, you greet people and they greet you back very kindly and, you know, please and thank you. And just, just like, you know, the most basic of social graces that many of us were taught were sort of essential have fallen out of use in many parts of the world. And you go to Ireland and this is still absolutely essential. And people are not in a hurry in Ireland in quite the same way that they are in many other parts of the world. There is just this, at least in my experience of Ireland, this sense that things will happen when they're meant to happen. And it doesn't mean you don't have an agenda and you don't have a plan, 
but it also means that life is incredibly unpredictable and you just roll with it. And this is kind of how my mom was, you know, like she died when I was 24. My granddad died before I was born. Uh, and the stories that I have from them uh, mix with what I experience of Ireland in the present. And I, I understand so much more of who they were, you know, uh, like I just, I see things. And, you know, the first time I was in Ireland, I saw a billboard with a guy that looked like me, you know, broad shouldered, barrel chested, you know, long hair, beard. And he was advertising some brand of toothpaste in his hand, you know, and grinning from ear to ear. And I'm like, oh my God, people who look like me are on billboards in Ireland, you know. <laughs> I know there's no language barrier, but do, are you accepted as an Irish musician in Ireland? Uh, no, I, I think I'm, well, yes and no. I mean, I think people know I'm Irish. I mean, they, they meet me, they talk with me, they get that I didn't grow up in Ireland. But when I tell them I'm Irish, it's not a surprise to anybody there. But uh, there can be a language barrier. There's a whole section of Ireland called the Gaeltac, uh, the, the, where they speak the Irish language. Uh, and it is, it's a challenging language to learn. Um, there are there are uh, multiple, there, there's the Brythonic and the Goidelic branches of the Celtic languages and, and Scots-Irish, uh, Irish and Manx are on one side of that and Cornish and Welsh and the language spoken in Brittany uh, in that part of France are on the other side of that tree. And um, So yeah, of those probably Welsh and Irish and the language in Brittany and Scots-Irish, those four are still pretty living languages. Uh, so, no, I, I don't sing in Irish, and I aspire to learn enough Irish to sing in Irish. But when I'm over there, what people really want to hear is not so much the traditional Irish songs, because they've been hearing those their whole lives. You know, when I pull out 16 Tons or John Henry, uh, when I pull out, you know, an old Johnny Cash song, um, people get really excited about that. And when I sing new songs about Ireland... Uh, or about things that are of interest to the Irish. That's really what gets their attention. So no, I don't sing a lot of trad Irish stuff when I'm there because most of my audience is there much more interested in what's different in the same way that we would want to go hear something, you know, and, and hear the stories from another place. They want to hear the stories from our places. Joe Jenks' new album is called The Coming of the Years. Let's hear one more song, and this actually takes place in Winnipeg. Why did you include this on your album? James Connolly, the great Irish revolutionary, spent nine years in the United States and some of that uh, time in Canada uh, studying the organizing tactics of the IWW, the Industrial Workers of the World. And in 1919, the workers in Winnipeg went out on general strike. They held the city for almost seven weeks. And it was, I, I think, one of the most consequential labor actions in the history of North America. It spawned general strikes across the U.S. and Canada and in Europe. And uh, the organizing tactics that James Connolly had been studying here, he brought back with him to Ireland in 1910, 1911. And they were part of the organizing behind the Easter Uprising. And even though he was executed in the wake of the Easter Uprising, his contributions to the Irish labor movement were huge. And ultimately, a lot of those organizing tactics were also used in the in the War of Independence from 1919 to 1921. So it was a bit of an homage to the Wobblies and to the Irish connection to the industrial workers of the world. And also 
the fact that while workers in North America in 1919 in the wake of World War I were reasserting themselves and reasserting their rights and their sense of solidarity, that the Irish were beginning uh, a war that led to independence in 1921. So there's just this thematic tie-in. Joe Jenks, congratulations on a beautiful album, and thank you for taking time to talk to us. Michael, thank you so much for taking time to talk with me. It's always a joy, and at some point I hope to see you again in person down in Florida. Excellent. Thank you so much. Joe Jenks' new album is called The Coming of the Years. Here's Winnipeg 1919. Jones and Eugene Debs, along with 
I'm a goldman angel, he'll land all the reds And all those fellow travelers who beckon to the call An injury to one of us is an injury to all Come gather fellow workers and raise your voices strong We rise today and win a pact to sing our victory song When our struggle here, but sure as hell we'll try For the future of our children we are steadfast by and by It's only when our minds are joined with muscle we can stand And bring to birth a new world, arm in arm and hand in hand Come gather fellow workers and raise your voices strong We rise to the winner sing our victory song Come gather fellow workers and raise your voices strong We rise today and win a practice sing our victory song We rise up all around the world and sing our victory